0: Master your craft, like really get good at your craft and always work on your craft. Because all of us, even those of us up here who you're seeing is like, oh, these are thinkers or famous people or whatever. We actually don't spend any time thinking about that, like how famous we are or or how big we are or or, or how important we are. we actually like in panic mode about whether we're getting better at the thing that we started doing. Like, you know, are we really mastering our craft? Did we get better from the last workshop? Did we get better from the last keynote? And so that's really where the value is. It's, it's, it, the value is in mastery. It is not in networking.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompanycom forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, If you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking to Tende Vicky, another guest who has been recognized by Thinkers50 as one of the world's foremost business strategic thinkers. And we're talking today about his third book pirates in the navy so why pirates and why being a pirate in the navy is different to being a pirate and his hobby horse around innovation theater businesses that look like they're doing innovation but are just wasting their bloody time and we talk about how to do it properly what is it that you need you don't need an entrepreneur in residence. But what is it that you need in your business if you're going to innovate, if you're going to come up with another big idea that's going to drive the revenue of your business over in the long term, how do you structure it, who staffs it, how do you measure success, all of that. We talk about, we talk through all of those things. He also makes a point at the end, which I think is fascinating, which is about, perpetual motion, which is that no business can stand still. Cause I asked him I asked him the question around, you know, if, if you're in a business and, and you think that today is just about executing your strategic priorities for today, isn't that okay? Do you really need to be developing new products and services, exponential innovation for tomorrow? And he said, look, no business is at rest. You need to be doing something, otherwise you'll be getting left behind. And even in those businesses, those businesses that are just trying to es- execute today's strategic plan, he thinks that they should actually have one, uh, one eye out for disruptive innovation in their industry so, so that they don't get taken by surprise. So a fantastic conversation, everything you need to know about innovation, how to staff it, how to measure it, how to make it successful. A fantastic conversation with 10 Day. I'm sure you'll enjoy it as much as I did.
0: Hi, uh, my name is Tendai Vicky. I am the author of Pirates in the Navy, also author of The Corporate Startup. Um, I spend all my time working inside large organizations, helping them build their innovation capabilities um, so that they can innovate and look into the future while they also have to tackle the challenges of running their currently successful business. And an
1: innovation comes up with clients of mine all of the time, so I, I can't yeah. see you being out of work anytime soon because it's, <laughs> that people people want to do two things where well, they want to do two contr- contradictory things at the same time. They want to work on the existing business and they want to put themselves out of business at the same time, and and that's really hard. It's really hard for it. Intellectually, you can get you can get your head around why that makes sense. And you can read somebody's book or you can read a white paper and then you go and try and do it. And it just seems that businesses suck at it.
0: Yeah, because again, you know, as soon as you walk walk through the door, like you walk through the door with the really positive intentions. And as soon as you get in the building, if you're a leader, the first thing that shows up at your desk is a problem that's happening in the core business. And before you know it, your day has been occupied by this meeting, this call, investors, oh, financial problem here, optimization problem there, we're getting sued by X. And then you go home, and tomorrow you repeat the same process. So unless you're, like, actually deliberately blocking off the time to intentionally drive innovation, it's it, it's hard.
1: So uh, why why pirates? Why is that an inspiration for the story?
0: All right, yeah, so... So, so it's interesting, right? I think the title of my book is a bit, is a bit of clickbait, you know, in this new clickbait society. So people will probably go to my book thinking, oh, great, I'm going to go to this book and learn how to be a pirate. And then as soon as they read, like, the first four or five chapters, they'll learn that you're not learning to be a pirate, you're learning to be a pirate in the Navy, which is a distinct thing that's separate from being a typical pirate, right? And so um, that's why the title is Pirate in the Navy. But the pirates thing is what really probably will, 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 will actually draw people. And the battle is is simply this, right? You know, like how entrepreneurs have become really famous, like Mark Zuckerberg is famous, and you know, Steve Jobs. And I, I, I have a philosophy that Apple succeeded in spite of Steve Jobs, not because of Steve Jobs. Uh-huh. But that's a conversation for another day. But it's this notion that that um, that entrepreneurship is brash, buccaneering. Pirates, right? Steve Jobs said it's better to be a pirate than to join the Navy. This of swashbuckling, buccaneering, you know, take no, forget about plan B, right? So, your book, right? It's, it's, that's the, that's the kind of like entrepreneurial spirit that you, that you have to take with you. And that's, and I, and I think that's fair if you're an entrepreneur. But there's also aspects of entrepreneurship that are really powerful, like being innovative, being inventive, being creative, really thinking about the future, seeing things that other people can't see and taking creative directions to try and solve those problems. So what I try and do is I try to make a distinction between those two things. There's the one part, which is your creative, innovative, breakthrough idea-generating, inventive personality. And then there's the brash, swashbuckling, crazy, disruptive person. And I try and say to innovators, If you're going to learn anything from entrepreneurs, please only take the creative, innovative breakthrough idea part and leave behind the swashbuckling, disruptive, abrasive personality because the superpower of a corporate innovator is the ability to innovate really, really well and really be inventive and really see the future and drive a really powerful vision, but have sufficient political acumen that you can build Good relationships inside the company to drive yourself towards success. And that's what distinguishes a corporate innovator from a typical entrepreneur. And that's wh- how you become a pirate in the name.
1: And how successful have you been at selling that dream?
0: At selling that dream? Yeah. So I remember once I was giving a keynote at a, at a conference in, I think it was Norway. And I, and I went on this rant of like, in fact, it's one of the chapters in my book, right, which is you're not Elon Musk and you don't work in a company full of idiots, right? And, <laughs> and I was even saying offensive stuff, like if you were Elon Musk, you wouldn't be here sitting, listening to me, <laughs> you know, far more interesting things to do. But the fact that you're here is really definitively saying that you're not Elon Musk. And so one of the things that we need to do as 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 entrepreneurs is understand that when you're doing corporate innovation, there's no idea that succeeds inside a company, without the efforts of other people besides just the innovation team. You need sales directors involved. You might need to rope in some marketing resources. You definitely need legal and compliance to approve whatever it is you're about to put out. And then finally, if you're going to go to scale, you might need some manufacturing resources or some other resource from the leadership. So if you're already like walking around insulting everyone and acting as if you you sort of run the world, people are just going to be like rooting for you to fail. So <laughs> when the time comes to get you know, the investment you need, people are still going to go, no, we don't do that here. And then, and, and, and then you're stuck. And that's where a lot of corporate entrepreneurs are sitting right now. They're stuck with great ideas that nobody wants to invest in because they haven't been able to build that bridge.
1: And so how, so let's wind back then. So if you're like most of the people I speak to and they know there are some great ideas in their business that just aren't getting out of the door where do they start? Do they start with making some structural changes? Do they start by why are people failing? What are they doing to get in their own way?
0: So, I mean, let's, let's go back even further, right? I mean, the story I like to tell is that like corporate entrepreneurs always want to act like they're going up against Darth Vader, who's the mother company, right? They, they want to act like they're like these heroes that are fighting all these MBAs that don't know what they're doing. But actually... Part of the fundamental problem we have is not just that the corporation itself has problems culturally in terms of dealing with innovation, but we also have a problem of entrepreneurs themselves not actually knowing what they're doing, like actually sucking at their job, like you <laughs> know suck at being <laughs> innovative. And so the fact that it's fact not that, it's like, not it's engaged, not
1: it's not much of a rebellion. It's just it a, couple, no, it's a couple it's, like it's a couple it's a couple of guys in a pub thinking they're having a rebellion.
0: It, it is. It is literally the, the, the um the, the bonfire night thing that happened in England where the guys were just like found out <laughs> before the thing went off. That's exactly what corporate innovation is like. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to like disrupt this company, et cetera, et cetera. And then they walk around like offending people. And then in the end, like when they're ready to launch, nothing happens. Yeah. Because it's, it's <laughs> like discovered and they were made to walk the plank like pirates.
1: It's like, <laughs> a, know, right? it's like a Monty Python version of Star Wars.
0: Yeah. And it's mostly because people are invested in in innovation theater and not real innovation. And what, what do we mean when we say innovation theater? We mean like people are engaging in behaviors that look like innovation. So they have sticky notes, they have football tables, they have whiteboard, they're having idea competition and idea jams. And then like nothing of value comes up after that. The fundamental role of innovation is value creation. It is not generating ideas, right? Creativity is about generating ideas. But once you have like your creative ideas generated, the fundamental goal is to transform those creative ideas into businesses that create value.
1: There's no no value in the idea. I mean, that's whenever you go and talk to, whenever I go and talk to venture capitalists who are looking to invest in startups, they're like ideas, millions of ideas. What we need is teams that can turn that idea into something valuable and that's investable.
0: Exactly. And so the, so when these teams are in innovation labs, they're not even like really authentically involved in doing that kind of work. They're not testing their business models. They're not checking whether there's value for, for, for you know, for, for customers. They're having like events and stuff and having external speakers talk about culture, but they're not really focused on, on building businesses or, or, or building value. Not only that, right? Like, If you're working in a corporate environment, one of the things that will make your business succeed is this ability to leverage the resources in your company to launch it out to the market. So part of the work is not just making sure you're making something that works for customers. Another part is making sure you're working on something that the business will want to scale. So you need to build relationships. And so a lot of innovation teams have really great ideas, but there's no strategic alignment between what they're working on and what the company wants to really focus on in terms of innovation. And so those ideas end up just sitting again even if, they, even if they could potentially be successful. And so there's all these broken behaviors that sort of entrepreneurs are involved in. They're kind of getting in their own way, even if they have the best intentions, you
1: know. Well, and you just have to look back in history for some fantastic examples of that. You know, the um, AT&T Labs developed the fax machine, mm. but decided not to market it because they thought it would reduce the number of voice minutes. So they canned it, and then, and then and then and then it was sort of reinvented by the Japanese, or or of course you know Steve Jobs went to Menlo Park and saw mm. the, the mouse yes, and the graphical yeah. user interface, that's and and it. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and, the, and on the
0: yeah. yeah. So the, so those ones are interesting challenges because those are challenges around the corporate leadership not knowing what to do with the inventions that have happened inside their organization. So that's something that often happens. But here, in this case, there's also a bit of that, which is the entrepreneurs themselves not knowing how to move their organization towards these ideas and how to take them, like not knowing how to have a conversation. So it's like people from two different countries, you know, like we're from the innovation lab and you're from the mothership and we don't know how to collaborate with with each other. And so, you know, entrepreneurs that are able to build those bridges to to the core business are much more likely to actually leverage, you know, that success and, and, and do well. And so that's
1: that's about picking that's about the corporate picking the entrepreneurs they invest in. What 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 should they be looking for? What's the sort of yeah, C, so, CV, so. CV of a successful entrepreneur look like?
0: Yeah, so an intra- for me an entrepreneur has two characteristics that should not go together. Which is you know have you ever seen those football players, those NFL football players? They're like big guy, like those linebackers or like a defensive lineman or whatever, right? They're like big, yeah, and they're like standing there, and like how oh, you know there's a big guy, but when you when they're actually moving, like their feet move like ballet dancers, and you're like, how is that guy <laughs> able to do that with his feet? Like a guy that big should not be able to do that, and that's the same thing with entrepreneurs. It's like they have this mix of like inventiveness, adventurousness, curiosity mixed together with the humble humility to be able to build relationships with others for successful collaboration. And those two characteristics are often never in the same person. And so you, you kind of have to find those sort of gems and, and, and really nurture and, and grow them.
1: Is it normally the successful entrepreneur comes from inside the business or could you bring them in from outside? I mean, so, you know, could I go and poach an entrepreneur from a competitor because I can see that they have got that, you know, 19 stone ballet dancer
0: uh, thing going on? Yeah. So you can poach an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur from another company. I I think that, that that works. What companies are doing instead, which tends to blow up in their face, is hire startup founders. So they go, oh, yeah, you had a successful startup. So now come and run the entrepreneurship function in our company. And then what they've just done is they've just brought in this bro, Silicon Valley jackass who's going to be like rubbing everybody the wrong way and like making people angry because they think that they're Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, right? And so you really have to be careful about who, 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 who you're bringing in, right?
1: Well, and not only that, but the, the, the startup, it, it's weird because you've, you've said our, what we really need is we need somebody to come in and build a process around how we do innovation. And mm. the, the startup founder of a successful startup, you know, is, is, I don't know, the 5% of people who didn't get culled out through the process and they ended up yes. with a successful startup. <laughs> But you know they didn't. They they didn't have their their successes in building the business that they built, not in building a process to build a business for somebody else. So like they don't they don't have the they don't have the core skills. They that you would want to do the thing.
0: So you're just you're trying to solve the problem
1: with the wrong person.
0: Exactly, and the thing we're saying is it's, it's almost like a blunt object, right? Like, oh yeah, we need some. We need to infuse our company with some startup culture. So let's go get some startup guys in here. It's like, yeah, but what you want to infuse in your company in terms of startup culture, you have to be specific about the things you want. You can't just take everything wholesale. You have to say, we want to be able to generate a whole ton of ideas. We want to be able to invest a little bit in teams that allow them to test those ideas. We want to allow a space for some of those ideas to fail and only double down investment on those things that are showing success. And so let's go get somebody who can help us build that. Yes. Right, Or somebody with experience building that, right? Rather than to say, let's just go get a startup counter because it's, it's, not, it's not really the right. And they're called like entrepreneurs in residence and all this stuff. It's just not the right, like. <laughs> <laughs> you just think it's wow. a lot of rubbish, That's the yeah, start.
1: Just... <laughs> it's the start of theater nonsense, isn't it? Oh, exactly. yeah. like like, we yeah. We are a very big, boring corporate, but we've got an innovation lab. So look how sexy we are now.
0: Yeah, we're an enterprise lab that's run by our entrepreneur entrepreneurial residents. Aha. So, what? What? Um. What metrics?
1: If you're a you're a business and you need to do some innovation, you know, how much money should you put behind it? What are the metrics? How many bullets should you shoot? Uh, you know, what's your what's your conversion from test test to things you double down on? How long does it take? What what? When you go in and you're talking to somebody who's just asking you to help them solve this problem for them. I guess they're yeah, the type so of questions philosophy. they ask you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So philosophy, first mm-hmm. thing. We're managing two portfolios. One is the exploit portfolio, where we're running our currently successful business. And what we care about in the exploit portfolio is disruption risk. You know, Are, are there any threats that are emerging that could hurt our current business? And what do we do to respond to that? So, so that's fine. And then you're running a second portfolio, which is your Explore portfolio. And what we say to leaders is for the Explore portfolio, the first thing you must do, get a tattoo that says, I cannot pick winning ideas on day one. (laughs) Otherwise you'd be a
1: millionaire already.
0: I'd be a millionaire. And the thing about innovation is that companies, you know, there's been a lot of conversation that went on before that companies should act like startups, act like startup, act like a startup. Actually, companies should not act like a startup. Companies need to act like a venture capital portfolio. When it comes to innovation, they need to act like a portfolio manager, like a a, a person who's managing a portfolio of innovations. And so what they need to do is they need to make multiple small bets right? that increase over time as those ideas show traction. And so some of the early stage venture capital data shows that it takes like 250 bets to get, like, one multiple billion dollar investment, right? So it is it is a hard slog, right? But it doesn't mean that you have to make 250 s- small investments, you know? It's just that the more bets you make, the more likely you are to find those runaway successes, you know, the 50 times return, the 60 times return. But if you made, you know, 50 bets, right, you could probably get, like, a really good 10 times, 20 times return, from at least a third of those ideas. And so that's really what we're trying to sort of help sort of build to the practice. And so the question then becomes two things. How do you track those ideas to know which ones are actually on track to keep putting investments in? What are the things you're tracking? And then the second thing is, what do you do with those that have failed, right? How do you celebrate that failure and make sure that it's not career suicide for the people that have been involved in that?
1: Yeah, and I think the story I read about Microsoft with their chatbot going native on Twitter and starting spewing out expletives was that that was one of the examples of culture shift in Microsoft, where they thought that Mm -hmm. under the previous regime, those guys might have been taken out and made to walk the plank. But in the new regime, there was a, let's not do that again, but, you know, well done for trying something even if it didn't have the desired effect.
0: Yeah, exactly, because again... If you, as leader, can get that tattoo that says "I can't pick the winning idea on day one," what that means is that you accept that there will be some of the bets you make that will not succeed, and what you want to do is you want to celebrate teams that let you know this very quickly. Think about exploration, right? Think about colonial exploration. So I'm from Africa, I don't. <laughs> <colonial. laughs> so think about colonial exploration, right? Think about like what that conversation is like, right? You don't say to Sir Francis Drake. Go over there, and then we know it's a sure bet, so when you come back, please bring gold, please bring ivory, please bring silk. Like, like Give them a list, and we want a five-times return and all of these things that you know CFOs ask for when they're talking to the innovation team. What you're really saying is, here's a boat, here's some money, and here's a couple of people that are not scared to risk their lives. Can you go over there and just find out what's there and come and tell us what you find so that we can decide whether or not that's a place we want to keep investing people to go there in, right? Yeah, And that's what really exploration is about. So people go there, they map the land, they do a couple of deals, they bring back a couple of examples of the kind of stuff you can get over there. And then people go, all oh, right, great. So now we know that we can do this. Let's actually send more people, more boats, right? It's, a, it's now a worthwhile investment. And that's really what you want to think of. And so that's why we say you actually have to transition from being a pirate to being an explorer, and then once you, once you, when you're managing explorers, you're saying, I'm going to make a small bet. You go find out if there's something worth investing in there. Come back and tell us, and then we'll decide whether we want to double down investment on that or not. And so people who do that for you are heroes. They're like the internal heroes of the organization. They're going out into the world and coming and tell, giving you information about things that are worth investing in versus things that are not worth investing in. So you have to celebrate that failure, but you can't do that in a system that's only geared to celebrate success. Right. You have to sort of build the, the
1: system. And it's another one of those philosophical things, isn't it? Like intellectually it's really easy to say we're happy to celebrate yeah. failure. And then and then what happens is the CEO says at about six months, um, have we not launched any new products yet?
0: <laughs> but i got gonna ask that question yesterday <laughs> like oh this accelerator program that we started uh two months ago have you found anything worth scaling i'm like uh, only two months we're like you know exploring <laughs> time out
1: and then of course the yeah. other thing is uh you send out your explorers but then if you want to exploit different people yeah it's a different so it's a different it's, a, diff- Navy, it's right? a different team
0: yeah, it's a different DNA. It's a different governance mechanism. Like you don't like send Sir Francis Drake out to explore and then use the same mechanism that you're using for, what's his name, the famous guy who was the Navy guy who who won wars, what's his name? Uh, oh, Nelson. Man, his name was, Nelson, right, right, exactly. So you don't actually have like, like the rules for Sir Francis Drake are not the same as the rules for Nelson. Like Nelson has a structure, a hierarchy of command, and all of these things that he has to do. So you're not going to send Nelson to go find out whether or not, like, the Congo is the right place to mine diamonds, right? You send him on a different thing. You say, go pick a fight with Napoleon over there, follow the rules, whatever, and win for us. Yeah. That's a structural conversation that you know how that works, whereas this is a different, you know, conversation to have. And so
1: when the explorer finds a thing, when your innovation team find a thing worth exploring, do you... I guess there's a there, potentially there's a black hole there where the organization's got business as usual. It's decided mm-hmm. to do innovation. Now we've got we've got this thing that we think we might want to invest in, and I guess unless people are deliberate, there's a gap there because they what they do is they take that innovation and they give it to the business as usual guys,
0: and that's, oh, yeah. and, that's
1: and that's a different team, and they say we think your idea sucks, or we're already busy enough, or. It's like yeah. giving it's like giving salespeople a lead. Marketing gives salespeople a lead, and the salespeople look at it, and go, that's shit." It's like, no, 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 that's that's, right. that, that's a lead. That means this person doesn't necessarily want to place an order yet. And and I know what you wanted. You wanted an order, but that's this, you're in sales, right. so here's a lead. Go sell something, right? And so it's that just sort of right. mindset.
0: Exactly, and that's where you have to really decide. And I was having a conversation about that with Alex just like an hour ago. Like we have to decide the criteria upon which businesses get handed over to the core. And we have to say, listen, when you hit X revenue or when you hit break even, like when it makes sense, then move, transition the business idea from the explore portfolio to the exploit portfolio. And so again, leaders have to make those decisions and make them really explicit. So people are not like fighting over resources or fighting over territory. And so I really get you when you say that there's a black hole, but the cool thing about like, if you really stop and think about it, Right, the black hole is easy to fill in the sense that successful businesses have the same characteristics, right? They make something of really great value that resonates with customers, right? And here's a principle customers are willing to pay more for the business than it costs to make it <laughs> with the product. There's <laughs> <laughs> <very> interesting one. <laughs> and, You've figured out the right channel to reach customers, right? So that you can, you can repeatedly, you know, learn, earn from them, right? You have figured out the right resources and key activities to consistently create the value proposition and the right quality and standard that the customer expects. You've got the right key partners in the ecosystem from logistics or, you know, even product creation that you need to create this. So all of these are just the standard questions, right? And so, if we just track our metrics or along those dimensions, we can tell which business is getting close to being successful versus which one isn't. And and the more and more we get green light, green light, green light on all those dimensions, we, we then know, OK, this is ready to be transitioned to the core. I'm not just giving the salesperson a lead. I'm actually giving them something that's actually working. So it's something that goes into that leader's business as an additional thing to the p l like more revenue more value rather than oh man i'm gonna to have to pay all these people but their idea then if you started generating revenue yet so actually i'm taking a hit at the p l level i don't want to take this on right and so those are real conversations that, that you can have inside and both.
1: so that's one of your criteria is it that it's uh break even before it goes over to the core business
0: it's not my criteria, right? I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a thought right. that I have. Like break-even might be a criteria. Some people don't want break-even. They want actually something that's actually showing traction. And then some businesses are like, no, no, no. It's sufficient that you hit X milestone, and then we can take it and solve the growth problems. And so businesses can decide you know, what they want to take on, especially if it's something important to them. I think what really matters is the strategic conversation. What you don't want to do, which is what entrepreneurs do, is they go and hide in their labs and they work on something and nobody in the business knows what they're working on. And then when they feel they're ready to scale, they come back and go, ta-da! You know, you haven't heard from us in the last two years. Guess what? We have 4,000 customers already on this application, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you want to scale it. And people are just like, what? What are you talking about? Like, where have you been? Like, who are you? And so what you really want to be doing is building those relationships, right? Step by step. While you're working on your idea, you're also figuring out where that idea might sit if it succeeds internally. And what, um, who's done it? Who does it well? What do you mean? Like who does it well? Like entrepreneurs or companies? Companies.
1: Uh, which companies? Okay, well, which, companies you know, which companies have, you know, either they're clients of yours or they're not. But are you, I'm sure you've got some examples where you go, they've done, they've done some cool work.
0: I'm just making it up. I have no example. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Fake it till Beyond you make the, it. <laughs> Beyond the typical examples, right? So we know that Amazon's got a really good entrepreneurial culture. They're led by an entrepreneurial CEO who was the founder. And so they're running multiple experiments all the time, not only are they improving their current platform, but they're constantly exploring new business ideas that that, that, that can scale. And then, one of my favorite examples, more recent examples, is, a, is the Chinese insurance company Ping An, founded by Peter Ma, right? And it's really, it's really interesting what he did there, right? Was he decided that he was going to try and transition the company from being just a, an insurance finance company to like a technology company. And so rather than drive innovation himself, he appointed a co-CEO named Jessica Tan, and she became the company's chief entrepreneur, and her job was just to drive innovation. So they created an innovation portfolio, right? And like, for example, one of the things, one of the platforms they have is like the world's largest online platform for like uh, connecting doctors and clinics and and, and and kind of patients. It's called The Good Doctor. It's like the world's largest sort of online platform for that. They created that. And what that allowed them to do, they were, they were like grew in like five distinct business areas and that allowed them to move from like 400 and something on, on Forbes into like the top 20, just in terms of like revenue growth, driven by top line creation of new businesses because the founder of the company decided that he needed to create a distinct part of his business whose job was just to work on creating new businesses and appointed a co-CEO to to, to actually drive that. And And it's, it's it's,
1: it's interesting at a much smaller scale, I think about the clients that I work with where innovation hasn't worked. And it's because it hasn't, the resource allocation decisions haven't been made by the CEO. They've tried to have innovation as somebody else's job in, yes. in the executive team, in, in business as usual. And, yeah. and, and, and there what you've said is the CEO is deliberately taking resources away from the core business and putting them somewhere else and saying, mm-hmm. get me, a, mm-hmm. get me a return on this.
0: Yeah. And so that and, and that's my experience, which is the head of innovation, Reports to the senior vice president of marketing, who reports to the chief marketing officer who reports to the CEO. And so like this person is four layers in. They they meet the CEO once every two years. Like that's how much the CEO knows they exist. <laughs> but they're the ones that are in charge of creating the new businesses that are going to drive growth in this organization, this is an impossible task. Like these are innovators that don't have any power to drive any significant change within their company. So what we really say often is you want to raise the the, the power of innovation, right? You want to give it more legitimacy as a repeatable process within, within your organization.
1: There's one other thing that you said earlier that I'd like to take you back to, where you were talking about um, innovation, the sort of, looking because some businesses that I speak to say you know look uh, we're so early in our life cycle frankly another stream of revenue would be lovely but we think that's like you know 10 years away right when 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 we've become best in the world at what we do today then maybe we'll think about innovation but you said uh, you said that one of the things that should be on their horizon is looking out for disruptions to their core business mm-hmm. and so how do you mm-hmm. how do you think about helping an organization Structure that f- sort of forward looking or, or looking because as human beings we're terrible at looking for exponential trends we we look at it, we assume it's linear, and even even at the beginning, an exponential trend is is really difficult to differentiate between linear change, so we think it won't be a big problem for a long time, then all of a sudden bang, and you know we're we 're overtaken by our print photography business is overtaken by digital photography you know and and we're out of business.
0: Yeah. So I I, I love exactly what you said, because Rita McGrath in her book, Seeing Around Corners, she talks about, she gives this quote from Ennis Hemingway's um, I I can't, I can't remember the title of of the book now, but inside that book, a, a person is asked, how did you go bankrupt? And he says, I went bankrupt two ways. Gradually, then suddenly right? <laughs> so this, this sort of gradually then suddenly thing is how di- disruption happens. And so the question is, how do you pick up the early signals that your business is under threat? And so mm-hmm. as strategize the way I work, we've created this sort of disruptive uh, disruption risk assessment. So we can take your business through a whole series of questions, right? What are the trends looking like, right? Are your customers locked in? Are they, are they, are they, do you, is there high switching costs? Like, is it costly for customers to switch from you to a competitor? Or, you know, look into that, look into your channels, your relationships with key partners, and see if any of those are, like, under, under threat of disruption. And we've got, like, various criteria that, that can help people decide that. And then after that, you can really see, a, like, a clear point of view of, like, where the potential threats to your business model actually uh, underlie. And then we say, okay, great, let's now generate ideas about how we can innovate around those things. And then we generate those ideas, and then we start trying, try to implement them.
1: <laughs> you know, it's just, so, you know, you were talking earlier, like about people being, I don't know, crap at things, or about it being theatre. I was, I, I was speaking, yeah. to, I was speaking to somebody the other day about their business model, right. And and just the, the conversation jumps back into my mind because they were talking about how they'd come up with their business model to d- disrupt their industry, um, and they're not disrupting their industry at all. But what they have done is they've deliberately taken away all of the things that might be you know, give them some competitive advantage. So, you know, they sort of said, oh, we, we don't do long-term contracts, we do short-term contracts. And, uh, you know, we've made it easy for people to switch because we want it to be a thing that you can switch from us. Uh, that's why people would All move right. to us. That's why people will move to us. And I said, but but people aren't moving to you um, and, you know, you're not disrupting the industry. So what you've done is you've just made it really easy for people to leave. And so, yeah. and so again, it's the, I, I think that whole looking at your business model and saying, is this weakness in your business model really driving growth for your business or is it just undermining your long-term
0: viability? Exactly. And another thing is, you know, I often say to people like, listen, disruption is like fight club, right? And what's the number one rule of fight club? You never talk about fight club. So, (laughs) When you are walking around going, you're disrupting an industry, it's highly likely that you're not. (laughs) Because disruption is a specific thing, right? Disruption is when an innovator or a small company or maybe even a large company starts doing something that other people in the industry would dismiss as stupid. we would never do that. Like, why would we go for that customer segment? You you don't make any money doing that. What? You mean you're going to make a lower quality product than the high standard we have, and you think you're going to succeed? Like you do things that the incumbents would actually dismiss. And then we say that disruption has actually happened when the customers of the incumbent start moving to your business. Before then, you're just another company. Right. And so, it's really important for us to for people to make that very clear when when, when they're talking about. Oh look, what
1: I, I look. I spent a big chunk of my life at Rackspace, and and then moved on to Pier one, so infrastructure services managed IT, and we looked mm-hmm. at AWS and we went, hang on, what do you, they, this, these guys will never succeed. There's no service model. Uh, you can't when it when it falls over. You can't ring anybody up. Um, uh, there's there's no SLA. Um, And, you know, if you lose all your data or you lose your production environment, it's your fault because you didn't build it right. That'll never fly. And, you know, you look at at Rackspace now, the world's number one supplier of managed services on AWS. Right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like I've spent, I must have spent weeks in meetings where everybody just agreed with everybody else in the room that AWS wasn't a threat because it was completely ridiculous.
0: And that's what, and that's how disruption happens. Whereas if you, all of you in the industry agree that this is something important to deal with, there's no disruption. Great. <laughs> right? oh, very so good. That, that's really how to think about it, right?
1: Um, so look, just what is it that you now know
0: that you wish you'd known earlier? Yeah, so I now know that there's no chance of ever sustaining success if you don't constantly... Move away from the things that made you successful.
1: Over what do you have you a time? Do you have a time frame for that? Is it?
0: I, uh, or was it just? Or was is it, me, it you just
1: got? It's got to be a perpetual motion thing.
0: You're, you're, you have to stay in perpetual motion, and what I, I didn't realize that earlier on in my career, I thought that my job was to get to a certain pinnacle and then maintain myself at that pinnacle. But actually, what I'm learning is that the human condition is to we have a, te- humans have a tendency towards complacency and, and the seeking of predictability. And that tendency is actually our Achilles heel, right? It's the reason why there's so many things that rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall and very few things that rise and rise and rise and rise and rise and rise. And so that's really like what I wish I knew earlier because I'm sure... I could have leveraged that knowledge a little better when I was, when I had more energy. <laughs> it's <was> like now, <laughs> now I'm like forty six, I'm tired, I'm grey. Now I know, completely really useless <laughs> knowledge. I could teach uh, children, I,
1: But that's but yeah. that's experience. You can't teach yeah. experience. Yes. You can tell people yeah. stuff, but they they just don't believe you.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't think it right, so yeah. But now I do.
1: <laughs> I'm. And you've got, uh, we mentioned, uh, you've got three books, Corporate Startup, um, Lean... The Lean
0: Product Lifecycle.
1: Yeah, and then Pirates in the Navy.
0: The Pirates um, in the Navy, yes.
1: Um, and uh, audiobook coming soon.
0: The audio, yes. the audio,
1: the audio version of Pirates in the Navy for for people. Yeah. For, well, we were talking, we were just talking before we started recording. We've both got that st- that stack of shame, the physical books, the physical books we've bought but haven't started. But <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, what other business books have you picked up uh, along the way that you think other people should read around the subject of innovation, or even more broadly?
0: Yeah. I think that one of my favorite books and and this has stuck with me for a while now, is Originals by Adam Grant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really fantastic book because in, in Originals, Adam Grant really talks about how the creative process works. And one of my favorite things in there is he, he talks about how, like, the best way to have good ideas is to have loads of ideas, which speaks to this concept of you can't pick winning ideas on, on, on day one. And he talks about how we know... A handful of Shakespeare's plays, like we know them, like Romeo and Juliet, etc. We also know like only a handful of like Mozart's, you know, classical song. But actually, when you look at the product, the level of productivity they had, like Mozart wrote five hundred pieces, Shakespeare wrote, you know, close to a hundred sonnets, plays, etc. So in that process of like creating and creating and creating and creating and creating, that's the only time you can produce something of value. You can't. It's like those people that tell like you know, celebrities or whatever, pop stars, go to the studio and make me a number one hit. <laughs> you know, like, there's no chance, right? You have to, for a celebrity to make your number one hit, they have to record maybe like 15, 20 songs. And then from amongst those, choose the one. So, you know, if you want an album full of hits, you might have to record like 200 songs. So it is, it is that kind of creative process and an understanding that that's what it takes. What it does is it stops people from having this writer's block experience, right? This thing that you need to get things right before you let them go out into the world, and rather it frees you up to just like do stuff. Yeah. And then like only in the knowledge that only like three or four of the things you do are actually going to end up being of of, of 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 value to anyone. Okay. What else? What else you got? Another book? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah no, look, no, no, no. no I'm after. <laughs> give me another one? <laughs> I only have one. <laughs> All right, so let me tell you another one. Sorry, okay. So another one that I like is Cal Newport's um, So Good They Can't Ignore You. Have you ever heard that one? No, I haven't. I've read his other book, right, yeah. The uh, Deep Work, but I haven't read. Uh, I haven't Deep read Work, one. his first book, or second book, his first book is So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he talks about how, like, you know how, like, people who, like, they ask you, like, how do I get into the movie business or how do I get into the into the consulting gigs or, 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 or whatever? And what they're hoping you tell them is, like, first you need to meet the like, like like networking ideas. Join LinkedIn. Meet this person and meet that person, et cetera, et cetera. What I like about Cal Newport's book is that it, it says people to focus on the craft. Get so good at the craft that people can't ignore you. And then that just, like, it stops you from having to go to dinners and stuff. Right? You be just, like, focused on your craft, <laughs> you know? Because I think the worst thing is, like, I think the worst thing you can do, and that's happening to me a little bit, so I don't want to be, like, proud, right? I don't want to be condescending, in, in a sense. That's, that's not my goal. But nowadays, because I have a book out and stuff like that, I get these emails from, like, young people who are, like, Hey, Tendai, um, I'm just starting out with this, this, that. Uh, can I, can I like, get on a 30-minute call with you on Zoom so I can show you what I'm doing, etc. Right? And it's like it's, that's hard. Like, like the people who are bu- the people who are important enough for you to want to talk to are too busy to give you the time. And that's the dilemma of trying to come up in the world: is that the people who are who you really want to get their attention are often too busy to give you the time. So the question becomes how do you get their attention and i prefer people who lead with craft like i prefer people that i i have to seek out cuz they're so good like i saw something they did and it was so good that i have to find this person and the and the conversation becomes different to somebody i don't know coming out of the blue and saying can i can i can we can we can we grab a coffee And I remember my wife lecturing me about that. I think, don't be so proud, meet people. And so I listened to her and I went for some of those coffee meetings and I wanted to shoot myself because (laughs) (laughs) it was not what I wanted to spend my time doing. It was people that are unprepared. They don't, they're not ready for showtime. What they're trying to do is to see if they can build a relationship so you can help them with something. And so, you know, master your craft, like really get good at your craft and always work on your craft. Because all of us, even those of us up here, who you're seeing is like, oh, these are thinkers or famous people or whatever. We actually don't spend any time thinking about that, like how famous we are or, or how big we are or, or, or how important we are. We actually like in panic mode about whether we're getting better at the thing that we started doing. Like, you know, are we really mastering a craft. Did we get better from the last workshop? Did we get better from the last keynote? And so that's really where the value is. Is it's, it's it, the value is in mastery. It is not in networking. Fantastic. So that's why I love that book. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much for those suggestions. That's brilliant. Tendai, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. We've both we've spent we spent most of the time laughing. So it's been yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Really great having yeah. you on.
0: All right. Cheers, man. Cheers.